Hello, welcome to the Mobile Home Expert Podcast. I'm Jason Sorotin here with Glenn Esterson. And today we are going to talk about the top seven mistakes every new mobile home park investor makes. And Glenn, seeing how you've seen all sides and you see a lot of deals, you know, why is this important? Why should people know about the things we're going to talk about today? Well, I, I pretty much made all of them when I bought the park and uh, found myself in some boiling water, you know, during the recession. And it's uh, I've seen it over and over again with, you know, the tons of new guys that I help, you know, go through this thing. And, and a lot of them get to me a little too late in the process. Um, some of them get there just in time and we're able to help. Uh, so I thought it would be relevant at this point uh, to have a discussion about, you know, some of the, the more common mistakes made by, I wouldn't say all people, but by many of the guys getting into the industry. Because as, uh, as it said, you don't know what you don't know. And if no one's telling you what to do and there's not a lot of literature on this uh, particular subject, uh, you might you might find yourself saying, hey, well, I thought I did a great job with my due diligence. And I thought I, you know, I thought I understood what the tenants were like. I thought I understood what, you know, banking was like with this industry. But you, you, you find yourself on the short end of, uh, of that decision. And it could, in some cases, jeopardize uh, you significantly. It definitely did for me. So that, that's... Uh, I that makes that's... total sense, man. Like, I, yeah. For me, you know, being a newbie and trying to learn all this, you know, when we went over the topics, it, it just really hit me as like, oh, man, I need to think about these things more. So let's get started. These are in no particular order. But let's talk about the first mistake that every new home, mobile home park investor makes, and that is not vetting tenants during due diligence. Oh, boy. That's such a common one. It's, uh, you know, look at a rent roll, evaluate, you know, how many times this guy's made his payments over the last few years and just assume he's a good payer and a good tenant because the seller told you he has no riffraff in his park. Uh, and you took him for his word on it. Uh, so this one happens on so many deals that I work on, it's bananas. And, you know, now that we, 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 we encourage people to really start with one of this, with this topic as one of the first stepping stones into evaluating the deal, we uncover a lot out the gate and are able to, to remedy this uh, during the deal, or we're able to walk away before it costs anybody any real time or money. So when you're vetting the tenants, when you're looking at the, uh, your due diligence and you see a lease on, on all of, uh, you know, the, the 50 tenants in the park or whatever it is, and, and everybody signed, and, oh, hey, look, they even have uh, an application with the Social Security number, great. Uh, doesn't mean the previous guy really vetted those tenants. It could mean that that guy had a pile of cash when he talked to the previous owner, and the owner said, you know what, I'm hurting right now, go ahead and move in. Uh, and maybe he has been a good tenant since the whole time he's been there. But how often do you want to take that chance that that is going to happen? So when you're <clears throat> when you're thinking tenants, you, you get past the money, okay, and, and, and start wondering where that money comes from. Are they are they employed? Are they making three times the rent or at least two times the rent? Um, you know, you want to make sure that the tenants first have uh, you know some job security as much as that they can have at least um, to, to be able to afford the rent. That's the easy part. The next is 
Did you run a police report on this person? Did you look at the sex offenders list? Did you did you uh, call the employer and make sure that, you know, John Doe's landscaping company actually exists and, and that guy actually shows up for work? Um, and, and these are the kind of minutiae steps that nobody likes to deal with, but I tell you, they need to be done because before you know it, you're going to have, you know, some gangsters or, or, or some drug dealers or some, you know, true riffraff in your park. Prostitutes, brothels. Right, right. Brothels. Man, people are itching true. to go to trailer park brothels. Uh, you might find the uh, Robert Kraft at one of those. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and, and on that on that note, you know, really, any any time you see a park near a uh, near an airport, think to yourself, brothel, and and just double check into that one because I can't tell you how many times that's come up. It's like, oh, they're gainfully employed, and maybe it's not legal in that state, and maybe you don't want that in your park. Um, and you know, it's, uh, we laugh and jest, but, uh, these things happen all too frequently in this, uh, this fun business of ours. Yeah. So, so let's talk about number two, not understanding the full impact of the municipality relationship. This one's an important one and it's grueling and it's not one you will necessarily be excited to go do because you will definitely not always get a warm reception from the municipality when you show up in a new town, especially if it's a secondary or tertiary market and say, Hey, I'm buying ABC park down the road and I'm wanted to dig around and, and, and hear what you guys are doing. Uh, so, it, but you need to do it. And what you need to be asking these, these municipalities is more than just, uh, you know, about the permits for the park. Is there any violations against the park and stuff like that? Cause that's kind of the obvious stuff you want to, you know, pull the survey, you want to pull the title, you want to, you know, check the permits and make sure that, you know, these improvements are, are up to code. You want to just check for those obvious types of things. Um, and uh, But you want to also dig deeper and talk about uh, where is this municipality's, uh, you know, future goals with this town? And, you know, are they planning on expanding the city limits? Uh, and if so, how does that affect your park if you're just outside of the city limits? Is that going to increase your taxes? Is it going to make you hook up to some city systems that, you know, you, you don't necessarily need because your other systems are working? Uh, you know, you, you, what, what, what is the city's plan for economic growth? Do they have any job stimulus type of programs out there? Uh, do they have any uh, uh, programs to encourage outside business to come to their town? Because if not, a lot of these smaller, sleepy towns, they just kind of have their head in the sand. And, and before you know it, you know, the town's kind of shrinking and the city services are getting, you know, kind of, of a more archaic, you know, model. And uh, you might not find yourself having an easy exit at that time. Uh, or you might find yourself through this process that, hey, this town's definitely making you know, is definitely expanding the city limits and definitely going to make that park hook up. And they're charging a $3,500 cap fee per unit to connect. And you have to budget accordingly. Uh, so you have to go through all these kind of systematic steps because first, the owner might not tell you. Um, a lot of these owners are real straightforward, straight shooters. Um, but sometimes they don't know what they don't know. And some of the times, you know, you're going to deal with a less scrupulous uh, uh type of uh, owner at times who, who, who might be hiding some information from you. So you got to go dig. 
And you got to go really dig at the municipality's office and, and let them know that you're coming there to improve the property, you know, if you end up buying it and you want to be able to work with them and, and hear what they have to say about that community and, you know, what they would recommend getting done to stay off of uh, their, 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 you know, uh, off of their watch list and not, not get into hot water with them because that's going to be an important conversation. And man, if there was one thing of all those things that we're going to talk about that I wish I would have did up front, I wish I would have started with talking with the municipality when I bought my first park, I would have learned real quick that outsiders are not welcome. And that probably would have given me enough, uh, uh, to say that ah, I think I'm not going to go forward. With yeah. Cause they deal. can burn you. Uh, they can make you yeah, a, they hey, bring in a sewer thing that changes the way that your whole park operates, right? Yep. And and and, and, and it it was uh, for me. It, it almost took me totally out of everything that I owned because I it, it was such a, a hard obstacle to fix. And the municipality uh, really doesn't care uh, about at least this one with uh, about me at the time that I entered into their county, being not from there being uh you know somebody who looked different than them and I, I definitely looked a little stranger back in my day so i can respect <laughs> that but uh, you know at the same time i uh, made it made my life very difficult so uh, that that should almost be at the top of the list yeah we'll make sure on the on the web uh page where the podcast lives to put a picture of old glenn so let's talk about the third one which is the lack of understanding the local market and the economic drivers of that market and the demographics perfect yeah so that kind of touches on the previous one about the municipality and asking you know them about their future plans but at the same time you know you got to do some research uh what's what's going on there so you know with with the you know, uh, you have to understand if that that demographic is shrinking, if it's expanding, if it's gentrifying, if it's, you know, whatever it is for that area. And because that's all insight as to how it's going to affect your exit and help your pro forma modeling and your own personal expectations uh, in the future. Now, I'm not a I'm not a, a, a against buying into a market that is that is shrinking if it's a market that i think is is still a strong market and still has plenty of life in it and you know you're going to have the nicest park in that county and you're going to always have stabilized occupancy because of that i'm not afraid of that but you have to at least understand what's happening there um i mean there's some parks that i think will be excellent one day but are in current areas that I would not let my grandmother go, you know, live in, or, or, or my, if I had a daughter, let my daughter go, you know, with me collecting rents. But in a few years, for better or worse, gentrified, you know, gentrifying neighborhoods are happening right now. And in a few years, some of those parks might be worth looking at. And you can get them now at a cheaper rate than you will in a few years. So, you know, there's, there's two sides to the coin on all that, but you want to be able to go in and understand that, hey, you know, the, the, the demographics of this area are what they are today. And, and judging by historical, this is where they're going tomorrow. Uh, because if you don't do that, you might really find yourself in a market that has truly fallen out of favor and people are leaving in droves. And every, you know, every year they lose a few percent or something like that. And what does that mean for your area later on? Is, is your rents going to be topped out forever at $150? Uh, so, 
I, I know it's easy to focus on on the negatives, but there could there be positives that come out of understanding this, like like where you can see that the park will be more profitable because of a demographic change, or like uh, oh, absolutely, and and that's what I was referring to about saying if the, if the neighborhood's gentrifying, um, you know, you might be able to get into a crummy area today, but in a few years might be a real good spot because maybe some big developer just bought this, you know, five acre track and is going to do a nice, you know, uh, a nice high rise class A building there because they're, you know, they're, they're betting on the neighborhood too. And so if you can get ahead of those kind of people, you'll get a real good deal out there. But at the same time, you're taking a chance. I mean, in, in uh, Charleston, I've done a bunch of deals now in Charleston in, in neighborhoods that, you know, historically were kind of violent and scary neighborhoods. Um, granted over the last few years, they've gotten not as bad, but now they're so close to the downtown section that they're in the process of being gentrified. And, you know, over the last few years, I think I've sold four or five parks just in that one neighborhood on that one street. And, um, it's, it, it, those guys are seeing a value of future that I think is going to play out well for them. Um, will, will those guys but, likely get bought by people who are just trying to get rid of the trailer parks so it can be further gentrified? And is that good? Well, this is where the morality of, you know, the empathetic capitalist comes in. You know, gentrification is going to happen. And for better or worse, if you're on good real estate uh, by some standard uh, because of location towards a, a bigger metropolis or, or something like that, uh, it's 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 probable that your neighborhood will eventually be gentrified and you're going to have a harder time uh, finding affordable housing or have to move further out. Um, and, you know, if you're buying a park that is in one of those areas, I would really caution you to, uh, um, I challenge you to really go and talk with your tenants and, and learn about their fears and, and what they're trying to, 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 to live with and, and what would happen to them, you know, if maybe uh, some other guy uh, was to buy the park and redevelop it, but maybe you as an empathetic capitalist are not going to redevelop it, but you are going to improve it. And maybe you'll find a way to work with some of the, the, the good tenants uh, that need a little break on, on the income while you're doing this project. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, this is a fact of life. We see it in every major urban center that gentrification happens. And whether you can be a champion of someone who does it ethically or whether you can just be one of the guys who does it like everybody else, that's up to you. And I can't tell you how to live, but that's up to you. And uh, I, I would say there's there's winners and losers in doing um, in, 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 into buying markets that are changing. Uh, markets that are changing for the better very well might be a real winner for you. Uh, of course, you could be buying into an area too early, and you might have uh, some significant headaches uh, looking down. You know, looking that, forward for a few years. That is a really tough moral, ethical thing to decide. Because if somebody's yeah. asking you for offering you a big pile of money, but it's at the detriment of a group of people, holy cow, that's just tough. Yep, and and there's probably. People that will disagree with me on both sides of my argument, um, but I'm in favor of you know leaning towards the empathetic side and saying, hey, I know I could take your rents from $300 today to $600 today, but what is that going to do to you? And maybe 
over you know a seven or ten year period, I can get this park caught up to a market rent with less impact on the people that are living in my park, or at least were you know there as I was buying my park. Um, but you know it, that's uh, that's it's, it's a tricky game, and and I don't know that that's what our topic is about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Could, but it, but but it, but it is. Whole... I know, but it is interesting. Um, um so. Another thing that another mistake that people make, um, and this is number four on our list, is chasing cheap value ads and biting off more than the new investor can chew. Oh, man, that's so many people right now. And, uh, you know, if you're listening to this and, and, and you're one of those guys, please don't take offense. I'm just being straight with you. Um, I, I love. I love seeing people make money and I love seeing helping people get a good deal where they can, you know, double and triple their values. I love doing that. I do it. I do it frequently for people. Um, but some of these deals, uh, are, are such a challenge that, you know, having balls of steel isn't necessarily all it takes to get a deal done and profitable in this business, you know, and you have to, on top of the previous things we just talked about, you know, you have to then consider, you know, especially with like the, the time value headache model, is this, you know, going in cap rate of nine or 10% cap uh, in this very tertiary market that is only 30% occupied, um, you know, really worth getting it just because the owner's willing to finance it. And it, on paper, everything kind of pencils out to, wow, that's a good return. And look at that upside. Um, but, you know, what's that upside going to cost you? You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's easy. It is easy on a value add to spend a million dollars and still have an ugly duckling at the end of the day. It is easy. Um, and then there's no promise that the upside is going to come. It's not, you know, it's not that Kevin Costner movie. If you build it, they will come. It's, it's not that kind of thing. You know, it's, uh, you know, if, if you misstep in that kind of business, you could be on a very slippery slope and have a real challenge with all future deals moving forward. I, I just helped a gentleman uh, exit a portfolio that he had acquired uh, up to about 13 parks. Uh, he lived on the West Coast, and, and the rest of these parks, or all of these parks, were, were in the Southeast. And, you know, he was gung-ho about heavy value add. He was picking them up left and right uh, in 12 and 13. Um, and, you know, by 16... You can see the decay starting to really settle in on these things, despite being a very intelligent guy, despite having some decent crews of, of workers in these markets and having management, for lack of a better term, in place. Um, he, you know, found himself even with 13 parks in in the height of the market, 16 or 17 and 18. Um, all of a sudden, going into foreclosure on multiple of those parks. Uh, having to to kind of fire sale a few parks and, and I was I, I helped them fire sale them um, and you know taking the money from each sale and trying to put it into the next one and still not being able to keep up with a the investor demands who then get fussy and, and maybe you know um, may, maybe they start making some phone calls to to organizations you don't want to have to ever deal with uh, and you know from municipalities saying hey this park has not been improved and we're having you know, tenant complaints and we're shutting you down. And before we knew it, I'd sold off, I don't know, 
four or five of his parks and he had lost three or four of the parks and he was in the process of trying to do something with the last couple of his parks that were so far gone that I, I, I at that point uh, was not able to help him. And, you know, that's where this really smart, gung-ho type of guy, all of a sudden it gets a little overwhelming and people put their head in the sand. And, you know, it's going to be hard to come back from something like that. And I hope he does. And, and, and if you're listening and if he's listening, hey, I, you know, I have nothing but respect for what you were trying to do. And, and I you know, hope we all can get together and make it happen properly the next time around, um, because, uh, you know, good people and he's a good person, you know, still run across things that uh, maybe would have been avoided if they had better guidance in the beginning. Um, so. Watch out for that because that's all too common. There's another seller right now who's also got 13 or 14 parks, and he's on his way out. We just put one or two of his parks under contract, and they are such heavy lifts that I was telling most of the people looking at him, no, I don't think you should buy this. No, I don't think you should buy this. Until it finally went to a guy I'm very confident would be able to pull it off um, because that's one of the easiest ways to go bankrupt. It's one of the easiest ways to get sued by your investors. It's one of the easiest ways to, to have investigations going from authorities that, you know, are all, you know, three digits long and it's uh it's no fun. That sounds awful. <laughs> Let's not do that people. Um, so, <laughs> so the next thing is, is infrastructure of the park, not understood or not properly inspected. And I think this goes back to some of our earlier points, but this points at some of the more obvious parts of that. All right. So I, I, I did want to touch on one more thing on the previous point real quick, and then, and then we'll get to this is a lot of that example would have been avoided had uh, you didn't, you know, it's, uh, it's like when you go to a restaurant when you're real hungry and you order too much food and you can never finish that food, you know, you got, you know, your eyes bigger than your tummy. Uh, sometimes people have, you know, you know, this idea of what upside should mean to them and not really understanding that it's just not achievable in some of those markets. And if the park today is a, you know, nine or 10 cap in this market today, and there's still all this tremendous upside left in that deal, there might be a real reason why. And maybe that should be a huge red flag for you to stare at before you move forward on it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So back to the infrastructure of park, not being understood or properly inspected. Sure. So on the infrastructure, man, that's that's one that is often overlooked, too. Um, you know, we're told, oh, hey, it's uh, got city water and city sewer and, you know, uh, the water's included in the rents and, you know, it's just fine because it's public water. Or, hey, you know, this one's got, you know, private uh, well and private septic and you should stay away from those type of things because they could be they could be a real nightmare. And those are kind of the two general ways people look at these things for better or worse accurately or inaccurately so this is the, the kind of this is the, the the viewpoint that people are saying at this stuff and they don't they don't dig much deeper often so um you know public water is great no problem you know it's uh way easier for you until you realize that hey who owns those water lines is it is it the municipality or is it this or is it the park owner because if it's the park owner now you got to start figuring out well hmm what what's the utility map on this park look like? How deep are those lines buried? What are those lines made of? Uh, when was the you know the most recent repairs on this line? Is this a a patchwork of uh, of 
copper or of a stainless steel mass, you know, mixed with that the old black irrigation PVC uh, mixed with you know the modern stuff, and, and where are all these joints at, and, and is you know is that maybe that's why this water bill is so high because you got all these tiny little leaks, you know, throughout this 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 mess of a utility line put in, um, or is it all you know if it's it, 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 if it's owned by the city and you never have to worry about it. That should almost be enough to say, okay, well, if I never have to worry about it. But did you go and verify that with the city? Did you go and make sure they own those lines? Uh, and what up to what dollar limit is their responsibility? And what what size from, or what distance from the meter is their responsibility? And all that kind of stuff. Um, so things to look in on on you know stuff like that is is tremendously important because you know you might say, uh, oh, I don't buy well and septic. Okay. Well, that's fine too. But well, and septic has a lot of advantages as a park owner um, in, in, in many cases, and, and definitely has some disadvantages. But uh, uh, you know, on the advantage side, it's very it's very inexpensive for your tenants, which means you might be able to get a slightly higher you know rent because you're giving cheaper water essentially to the tenant. Uh, but again, you need to check what those lines are made of, um, how much life that pump's got left on it. Uh, you know, what does, you know, the, what do the walls of the well, are they in good shape or are you going to have to dig a new well because this thing's about to collapse? Uh, you know, how, you know, all those type of questions you have to ask. And then on the septic lines, you got to really, well, you know, you really got to find out if it's uh, an old product of, uh, of, of septic line called Orangeburg. And um, that's like a clay kind of uh, pipe that, that really falls apart nowadays. So, um, you, know, you want to you want to dig into these kind of questions and find out because if you don't, you could have some major capital uh, improvements needed after you close that you can budget for, and you know it could cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to replace these types of infrastructure in your you know in your park. Um, but I don't know that there's a good, bad, or or you know don't do a do kind of you know system. I would say all utility structures are worth looking at. But you need to look deep on all of them. What kind of uh, there is no easy one right out the gate. What kind of inspector do you get? Do you get like uh, is there somebody who specializes in mobile home parks, or do you just call a regular inspector? There's starting to be some specialists out there, but you know it's it's few and far between. Most the most typical way is people are going to call uh, you know their you know the, the guy that is already working on. You know, they're plumber, essentially. Um, and, you know, the guy who's been working on the repairs at that park over the last few years and talk with him. Um, or they're going to get a third-party plumbing company to come out and do a full inspection for them. And, and you're going to walk them through kind of what, what you think you, you want inspected and ask their advice on what else should be expected and let them kind of give you a, a proposal on, on the system. Um, so, I mean, and that's not, it's, it's not that hard to do. There's plenty of guys in almost every town that will do it. Uh, oddly, a lot of guys just take, take the seller's word and they say, oh, well, there's no water in the lot right now. So I guess everything with your septic is fine. And, you know, don't think to come back during a rainstorm or after the rainstorm and see if the water's all puddled up and, you know, and all that kind of stuff to see what's happening to the septic leach fields. And, you know, they just kind of, you know, uh, myself included, I was like, oh, okay, I guess. I guess this looks right. <laughs> you know, it's uh, well, okay, if it's broken, I guess I'll just have to, you know, learn how to fix it. And that's just the wrong approach to take. So, yeah, you know, hire a third party, have them come out. And if you walk them through what you want, they'll probably do a pretty decent Not just job. one third party. It sounds like the, the real work is getting multiple third parties that are specialists 
to come out because one person might miss it. Yeah, I would say good luck. I'm trying to find multiple specialists to come out and look at things. But, you know, it's, with every, uh, uh, you know, quote you get from people, you should always get two or three quotes, right? Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you got to pay for somebody to come out and, and get you that quote. But I would say it's probably money well spent to, to get, you know, the guy that the, the owner is using and then a second guy that you picked out of the Yellow Pages or who came recommended from a non-owner entity party person. Uh, so you can have some confidence that, okay, you know, everything is as it should be, or at least I know the things that are wrong with it and take it from there. Gotcha. So number six on our list of seven is buying at the wrong time. So how do you know yeah, when is the right time and the one. wrong time? How do you time? know? I know. <laughs> how do you know, right? And if everybody knew, uh, we'd, we'd all do it, right? Right. Well, everybody's doing it right now, so 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 shouldn't I do it right now? I mean, it's uh, my friend just bought a park. Shouldn't I buy a park? Because he's saying it's great. Um, and, you know, the answer to all of that is yes. Yeah. It's, uh, how do you know? It's, yes, it's a good time to buy a park. And, yes, it's a better time to wait to buy a park. And, and yes, it's a bad time to buy a park right now. You know, it uh, depends on where you are and, and what your goals are. Um, but, you know, I'm under the impression and opinion that a recession is coming. Um, I don't think it's going to be a big one. Other reports I read suggest it's going to be a reasonable typical type of recession this this cycle next cycle maybe it's going to be harder but i would suggest that where i'm at right now i'm seeing really cheap debt and i'm seeing more velocity uh and more uh more sellers entering the market and i'm seeing the t-bill drop to one and a half and i'm seeing more short-term loans than i am long-term loans and i'm seeing um you know negative interest rates in other countries and, I, and I'm looking at all this various scribble on the wall, trying to make sense of it. But I'm under the impression I wouldn't spend my money on 90% of the stuff on the market right now. And I would probably sit and just wait with my pile of cash for a deal over the next year or two and just sit patiently and then get a much better deal at that point. And of course, something fell on my lap and it was perfect and that made perfect sense. I, I would move forward now because it's still a good time to buy. It's just it's a good time to buy particular types of deals and deals on your particular um, schedule of what your plans are. If you're a short-term investor, I would say it's a very bad time to buy right now. Um, if you're a short-term investor, you know, three years or less. If you're a, um, you know, more conventional seven to 10 year guys, you know, it could be a fine time to buy right now. Uh, but if you're a long-term holder, then yeah, it's probably a reasonable time to buy right now. But for me, I just know, I think I know that there's going to be some kind of reset, some kind of default system happening here soon. And I would prefer me personally uh, to sit on the sidelines if I was still questioning, is it ready for me to get involved in this in, investment environment at this point because there's no rush despite what everybody on the internet's going to tell you about you know you got to get involved you got to get involved there's no rush real estate will always be here and there will always be good deals and you know it might not be the best deal or the better deal or whatever at the time but there will always be good deals and there will always be winners and losers and i'm so much more cautious nowadays that i would much rather be sitting on my few hundred thousand or a few million or whatever it is i got sitting in my bank and worrying about it burning a hole in my pocket and putting it into investment just because I need to invest because everybody's telling me that it's the right time to buy this particular type of thing. 
because um, when everybody is, is squawking about how it's the best time to do it right now, it probably means you missed the boat and, you know, you might be a little behind the curve on that one and then you're buying at the top of the market. And if it feels to me like, you know, kind of fourth quarter 2007 right now, um, you know, that's it would be hard for me to tell you to spend your money on, on something unless if you were just adamant about your goals and what this and how this fit with uh, your, your acquisition criteria and whatnot. Um, but if you're just loosey goosey right now, I would suggest sitting tight for a little while longer. Gotcha. Okay. And number seven on our top seven mistakes, every new mobile home park investor makes is financing and having high hopes. Literally the last on the list. And guess what? It's the last on the list for so many guys. <laughs> um, and it, it this could be right out on the top of the list. But uh, since we're here, uh, financing, if nobody has told you this, is hard. And banks predominantly don't like to loan on mobile home park assets. Um, and if you're a guy coming from... Ohio trying to buy a park in South Carolina and it's your first mobile home park deal and it's got some value add on that deal and it's got some park owned homes, you might find yourself, you know, you might find yourself talking to banks that will just never say yes to you. Um, they might tell you yes on, on in the beginning, but then when push comes to shove, they often say, you know what, uh, we, we, I don't think we can loan on this because the XYZ criteria is about the park and ABC criteria is about you and being out of state and inexperienced. Um, so, you know, it, it, using that guidance, um, you would understand why it, it, about 60, 70 percent of my deals that I do are generally a cash deal because um, a refinance is a lot easier. And you just wait a year or two to refinance uh, than than the actual jumping through the hoops of closing a deal with the bank. That said, there's plenty of great programs out there that can get you financed. And we help a lot of people finance parks, um, but they're more difficult and there's a lot of hoops to jump through. And really only few parks, you know, the higher quality parks that need all these bells and whistles the banks needs to be able to get what's referred to as non-recourse debt which means, uh, it, you know, you have less liability personally on that loan uh, versus a recourse debt, which means, you know, if you default on the loan, they can still come after you on that. And few programs, you know, offer non-recourse debt, but there's such limiting type of qualifications to get in. Plus, it's not a 10%, you know, down type of business. You know, most banks are at the minimum going to ask for 20% and often 30%. Typically, is 25% down on these things. Um so you have to have some reset expectations. And, and just because the bank gives you the pre-loan approval does not mean you will get the final approval. And too many people have learned the hard way that that's exactly what happens. Um, and to, uh, to make it even more challenging and more scary for a new investor, because all of us love to use Fannie Mae type of loans, is we go and immediately talk to Fannie Mae and pay for an application. And the first thing you'll notice when you go and pay for an application with a Fannie Mae loan is the price tag. It can be, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for an application that you will never get money back on. So if your money isn't already secured, meaning you don't have that money in your bank and you, you know, aren't planning or, or you know, and you are able to uh, close the, the, the loan after going through all these hoops, uh, then no problem. The money is probably well spent on the application. 
But uh, too many people learn after paying a fifty or seventy-five thousand dollar application with Fannie Mae. That's insane. And hey, I you know I'm I'm going to syndicate this deal, and I'm confident I can do it. And I've raised already this much money in the in the early stage, so I'm sure I can get the rest of the money by the late stage. And you know now all of a sudden you're 15 days from when the loan needs to be closed, and you haven't been able to raise all that money. Um, well, you are out that money if it doesn't close. And that might put you out of business if it's your first deal. And it definitely will hurt your pocketbook because I don't care who you are. That's still a lot of money. Uh, Glenn, I'm guessing that you probably just saved people a lot of money, likely a few marriages um, and, and just overall happiness. So thank you so much for going through those seven mistakes that unfortunately you've had to go through. But hopefully uh, people can learn from what the mistakes that you've seen and been through and come out on top. Um, if you want to reach out to Glenn and get more information about anything we've talked about today, his website is themhpexpert.com, and you can reach Glenn at his email address, which is gesterson, E-S-T-E-R-S-O-N is the last name, at themhpexpert.com. That's G as in Glenn, Esterson at themhpexpert.com. You can also call Glenn directly on his cell phone, which is 423-483-0492. That's 423-483-0492. I'm Jason Sroten on behalf of Glenn Esterson and the Mobile Home Park Expert Podcast. We'll see you next time.